Montana has become known for fabulous writers and books that have helped define the American West. One of the interesting aspects of Montana literary history is the mix of writers who grew up in Montana and then left and continued to write about it, such as Ivan Doig, Norman McLean, and people who moved to Montana and developed their writing style living in this wonderful place, like Tom McGuane or Deborah Magpie Erling. And then there are those who never left, such as Dorothy Johnson and James Welch. No matter how these various writers managed to become enamored with Montana, many of the books that have come out of this state have become classics. And many have led to classic films as well, such as Shane, A River Runs Through It, and more recently, The Power of the Dog. I'm Charles Finn, author of Wild Delicate Seconds and On a Benediction of Wind. And we at Breakfast in Montana are here to explore what it is about Montana that inspires so many great books and so many wonderful writers. For the next hour or so, we're going to talk to a Montana writer about one of their books. And I'm Russell Rowland, author of 56 Counties, Cold Country, and a few other books. We're also going to talk to these authors about a writer that has influenced their work. So pour yourself a good strong cup of coffee and spread some huckleberry jam on your toast. And welcome to Breakfast in Montana. All of your good times, good friends won't keep you from dying. going to depart a little from our usual format for this episode. I was asked to interview James Lee Burke about a month ago for Distinctly Montana magazine. Burke is a huge fan of A.B. Guthrie, as am I. So the magazine asked me to interview him about the writer, who was a friend of his. Burke had some great stories as well as some terrific insights into what made Guthrie's work unique for its time. He also talks a lot about his own work. Hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm here with Jim Burke, noted author of tons of books. <laughs> uh, I'm Russell Rowland, author of 56 Counties and a few other books. And we're going to talk about A.B. Guthrie, a classic Montana author who uh, won a Pulitzer Prize for The Way West and was also nominated for an Oscar for Shane, which is actually one of my favorite movies of all time. So, um, I guess I was going to start by asking you, Jim, when did you first become aware of his work and, and uh, what, what was it about it that spoke to you? I'm glad you asked that question. It's 1966. We moved out here to uh, Missoula from Kentucky uh, in order to teach. And so we pulled in at the university, had a U-Haul truck, and we were really tired. Pearl mm -hmm. and the children up to, we had rented a, an apartment. 
Anyway, I said, there's a tennis court over there. I'm just going to walk on over and hit on the backboard because I've been driving a long time. Walked over there. There was this man who was just flipping balls around. <laughs> and he said, well, you want to just, uh, uh, play a game? And I said, yeah, let's play. And, uh, and we went again hitting. And I, I, then we, I played two or three games. And I said, I didn't introduce myself. My name's Jim Burke. And then he said, well, my name's Bud Guthrie. He was the mm. first person I met when we arrived in Missoula. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. That was it. Huh. And I had never, I didn't know who he was. Right. And I never had read any of his work. Hmm. So when did you start, <laughs> when did you discover his books then? Well, I, it was a, a while. Well, some time passed, and I, then I, another friend of mine who I, and was in a tennis court in Fort Lauderdale who started telling me about the big sky mm. and the way west. So somehow, ten, I, I, to me, there's no way to deny metaphysical realities. <laughs> I, I don't see how anyone, there's just too many things that happen in a peculiar fashion. And it goes way beyond just, oh, golly, you know, a luck or anyway. Yeah. But that's how uh, I met him and I, how I, I came to know his work. Because I, I de dedicated one of my last few novels. Which one was it? It was four or five years ago. And I dedicated that book to his memory and in memory of John Nyhart, whom I knew quite well. He was my first poetry teacher at the University of Missouri back in the 50s. Wow. He was a great man. They were both great. And, and in my statement, I said, I think that without those two men, there would be no American West. Mm. They they wrote about the West as it was. I, I just finished The Way West for the first time, and I agree with you that he he was remarkable at capturing the the West in a more realistic way. I mean, the, these are definitely men's stories mostly, but he captures the vulnerability and the a lot more of the emotional landscape than a lot of the guys who write about the West did, I think. And like, there's an amazing passage toward the end of way West where he tells uh, a lot of the story from the women's point of view. And it's a really powerful passage. So what, what is it that you saw that was different? Well, as you say, it shows uh, the characters, all of them, yeah. uh, in a different light than most novelists and historians. Mm -hmm. They are more like us than they are the replication of others. They were not different. They were just like us. And, and most of them uh, probably the way that Bud saw them were, yes, they were religious people, they were brave, but they were also very frightened. 
was like stepping off of a cliff. Yeah. And and diseases, for example, yellow fever, all the suffering that went on. And they were no there are no antibiotics back then. And the loss of children out there mm. on the prairie. They they couldn't even put up a gravestone. They had to bury their children with anonymity. Mm. It, uh, they were extraordinary people, but we see ourselves in them. It reminds me of something that Faulkner once said. We read, shape, read and see Shakespeare's work, not to discover what was life was like in the 15th or 14th century. We discover ourselves in the heart of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. We discover our own heart. Yeah, that's it. That's the that's what draws people into art. It doesn't matter the era. We're looking for the reflection of ourselves. Right. To understand ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree. In fact, I'm just I'm just going to read a brief passage here because this is a short passage where, and it's told from the point of view of of a woman who lost her child and she and her husband are part of the, the, the way West is a story about a group of people who are traveling the Oregon trail. And this is a passage that takes place later in the book. It's a few years after the child is gone, but he just does such an amazing job of showing how that tragedy is still present in their lives. We'll eat before long. The young smell came to Judith, the young and tender smell that once had been the smell of Toddy. That's the, the son. She might be my very own, she thought. And she let her lips brush the bright head. She might also be Todd. She's got this little girl with her who also who lost her mother, and she's raising her. I ought to be seeing about a boat, Charles said, still looking at the water. We'll have to buy or build or something. The two boats for hire are engaged so far ahead. They're high too, though I guess we could afford them. We just got here today, she answered, not wanting him to leave. She wondered if he felt the same as she did. Did any two people ever feel the same? Did ever one soul know another, though they shared bed and fortune, though they talked at night? Though sometimes in hunger and in isolation they sought to make their bodies one, the all-mother in her loneliness trying to take back home the lost child man. So, um, like I said before, Shane is one of my favorite movies, and Again, I think a lot of the reason I love that movie is because it's a story that takes place in the West, but it could it could take place anywhere. And you know, the it's the strength of it is the relationships between the characters. So you've got this guy who is trying to put his past behind him, and he shows up at this and ends up staying with this family and develops a close bond with all three of the family members. So do you share that admiration for that film? 
Well, it's it, uh, there's it has no peer. Yeah, it's an extraordinary film, and yeah. uh, it became the guide for all what we would call Western movies, which it's not. It's not about the West. It's about humanity. It's about uh, <clears throat> oh my heavens! It's the light bearer. It is the story of the search for the, the Grail. It goes back to pre-Christian times and to the Gaelic uh, Gaelic history. It's Arthurian, and it gave Clint Eastwood a career. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it's the man with no name right. who appears out of nowhere. But uh, it also it's the story of uh, oh uh, my heavens, you know, um, golly, you know the. One of the one of the most influential uh, points, uh, uh, narrative points, written of course is the Song of Roland, and it, that's what it is. This mm. is the Song of Roland, and it also makes use of the passing of the Grail from the man Shane uh, to the little boy as he runs and. Yeah, eyes out. That, that scene is just one that sends chills all over me. I have seen Shane over and over. Yeah, again. every time I see it, I learn something new. George Stevens was a titan. He was an incredible man and movie director. I think the greatest of all time. Mm. And oddly, he's. Films that he directed in the 1930s were just films that were made in the 1930s. He went to war, and when he came back, he was felt compelled to tell the world what we have done wrong and what we have to mend. Mm. And that's what he said about doing. And he made, of course, a giant. John Ford, of course, was yeah. another man who... Uh, Lardy Clementine, oh my heaven's sakes! I've I, I get chills again. Yeah, because there's no scene in all of all of film history, to my knowledge, that uh, can challenge the emotion that is gendered engendered by the last few words in the film Clementine. There is Wyatt Earp standing there next to the school teacher. And you can see in the distance this tombstone uh, out there somewhere on the horizon. And in all probability, he'll never come back. And he mm. doesn't know what to say. And he just finally takes off his hat and he says, Clementine. Oh, I love that name, Clementine. <laughs> and he puts on his hat and rides away. <laughs> and it's just, I, it makes something drop inside of you. Mm. That just that second, you see, you know, it's, it's like the last few seconds of True Grit, the second version, mm. when a little girl, now an older woman, is walking into a... Uh, a sky that she's on the slope of a mountain 
that has no leaves on it, no, not even a stump. All you see is immensity. And then you suddenly realize this is eternity. And she's walking away from the camera. We do not see her face. And she says, ah, time just gets away with us. <laughs> she's talking about mortality. Yeah. The, the last line before that one was when she stands up uh, to walk away from Frank James, who was treated as a horrible guy, Frank yeah. James was. Mm -hmm. And she stands up and he's sitting in a chair and his eyes are roving up and down her body. Mm -hmm. And she says, keep your chair, trash. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a Portis fan too? Because I, I discovered Portis later, Charles Portis, True Grit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he was amazing. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, so another thing I loved about Shane was, you know, he, and this is true of the way West too, he, he has a totally different approach to love triangles than a lot of Westerns do. So, for instance, in Shane, Joe can tell that Shane is enamored with his wife, Marie, or I can't think of her name, but um, and that she feels the same. But instead of, you know, becoming, a, you know, defensive and threatening him or whatever, he, he actually has a conversation with her where he tells her if something happens to him, he would completely understand if she ended up getting together with Shane, which is pretty unusual for a Western from the 50s. And in the way West, too, there's the the relationship with Brownie and Mercy, who Mercy gets pregnant by an older man who's married. And she reveals that to Brownie after he asks her to marry him. And she um, tells him that she's pregnant by this other guy. And he he agrees to marry her. So diff very different from the usual, you know, macho, like, um, I'm going to get even with this guy kind of stuff. Even though they entertain those thoughts, they they show their um, humanity by going in a different direction, you know. Well, that's it. it they are, they're us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> they're not... Yeah, they're not the fictional version of Western men. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I was talking to some other uh, people yesterday about uh, the Alamo. Mm. And if, if you look at the content of what occurred in those 13 days, uh, 1836, March, and uh, March 6, I think, anyway. They held out for 13 days. There were 188 Texas soldiers. They were mostly boys inside the walls of the Alamo. And when it was all over, they went down to the last man. Uh, they left 1,500 Mexican soldiers dead. And you think about that. So how is it possible that Regardless of the 
sources of the war, the issues of the war. You cannot help except to admire the bravery of these people. They were farmers. They weren't professional soldiers. Mm. Two or three of them might have been. I think Travis was. And, uh, I don't know anyone else. At, and uh, No, I don't. And not, I, that's the only one I can think of. And mm. they were, as I say, many of them were very young. And they had to be afraid. I mean, it just must have been terrible on that last day. Probably they, you know, they were very hungry. But anyway, but there's something we have to, we have to, I think, realize about the nature of the American story. Mm. And it has to do with honor and with a virtue and ultimately all of the medieval values of the 90 rant. And it was just part of our heritage. And even though it seems uh, so, uh, a little bit self-conscious, you know, maybe people will think of, foreigners think of us as, uh, oh, that we invented the wheel. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But uh, what I'm saying is that all people, uh, I think, are better than we think. Mm. And George Orwell, I think, said that in uh, you know his uh, old golly's story about uh, Spain and his year with the Lincoln Brigade. And he said, people are always better than we think they are. They go down with the guns a-blazing, and the decks awash. They go down with the. Uh, they keep their mouths shut in the torture chamber. He said they're the greatest creation we know on our planet because of the indelible spirituality that they seem to be born with. And I've always tried to keep that those words in mind i didn't quote it very quote that statement very well but i tried to keep it in mind that people are always better than we think mm. and these people here in the 19th century uh had that kind of courage and bravado but they also must have had terrible fear in those last hours in places like the Alamo or uh, the soldiers that went up uh, Cemetery Hill and, and 8,000 people dead in 40 minutes. It's just hard to believe how anyone could do what they did. My great-grandfather was with uh, um, the 8th Louisiana and mm. uh, they were there and uh, they had wool clothes on. It was 95 degree heat. Mm -hmm. And they went into cannon. Uh, and uh, while they tore down fences, because there were hay fields all over the place. But because the cause was such, such a vile one, uh, slavery, that we have diminished what they actually did in the course of 40 minutes and you think mm. 
could I do that just to go stand up and walk right into it? You know, these tons of lead and chain, exploding can, uh, exploding shells, and, and and I try to keep that in mind about uh, judging, say mm. the, the people in the past. I mean, when you yeah. these are the statistics on the issue. Only about twenty five percent of white people in the antebellum South had an interest in or any kind of connection with slavery. Mm. There were all there are other kinds of issues. Yeah. Uh, but it, I didn't mean to get off on all that. But but I, I what I was saying is I agree with you. There's something wonderful in the American heritage. And but I I I, I my last book is titled uh, every cloak rolled in blood, mm. and it has to do with the 1872 massacre, uh, the Baker massacre. Oh, okay. And, uh, and it's one that we hide. Yeah, that, uh, very few people know about it. Yeah, and it is one of the most horrible. No, it is the most horrible uh, atrocity yep. in American history. And in effect, we committed genocide, and it was from one ocean to the next, and we did it for over a hundred years. And the Civil War, when it was over, made use of the uh, <clears throat> tactics of uh, the, the, the North. They, I, I know this is probably. Not, People might have to take a reaction to this, but it's just the truth. They starved the South deliberately. Mm. There was a term for it. The uh, oh, there was a, what's the name of the snake that crunches uh, crunches up its prey? Boa. Uh, Boa. That's it. Constrictors. That's yeah. it. The bull constrictor. That was the term for it to mm. just get the South on its knees, and that's what they did. Well, it worked, but they were practicing for the next war, much mm -hmm. wider war uh, with the Indians. And mm -hmm. they did it. That's how they won. They deliberately killed all the bison. Yep. And that was, and many of those those officers later regretted what they mm -hmm. did. So were you enamored with Western literature before you moved to Montana or, or was that something that oh, developed yeah. later? No, I was born in Texas. Oh yeah, that's right. Texas, Texas <laughs> thinks it's the West. There's, there's Texas and then the suburban place, a, a suburb of California. <laughs> to the extent, yeah. So how do you think overall the Western narrative um, represents or how, how does it fit into the overall American story? Is that a hard question? John Neihardt again. Uh, I, I was uh, his student when I was, whew, I was 20. I think I wow. was 20 years old. And I, I took him some of my points and, and I, and I <clears throat> Anyway, he was at a lunch table there, and a oh, uh, student 
cafeteria. Anyway, I sat down with him and he read them at the table and he said, well, Jim, he said, you you have a great talent. And he said, I think you're going to become a a very well-known or successful writer. He said, you have something, enormous talent. I mean, I was golly because I, I knew who he was. And then he said, but you have no form. He said, you mm. will acquire, but uh, it'll come. You know, he said, but right now, he said, it's like you have a handful of sapphires and rubies and diamonds, and you just dropped them in front of me. Mm. And he said, but you, you got you to gotta put them on some velvet, <laughs> put them mm. in a velvet box or something like that. But anyway, he then said, your talent lies in many ways with your conception of civilization. He said, whether or not, Jim, you plan this or thought this through first, you realize that civilization follows the sun. And he said, that's what America is. Mm. We are following the sun. But then he added, we uh, are at maybe a crossroads. And he said, your generation is going to have to contend with it. He was talking about neocolonialism. Mm. But that's it. He said, Mm. uh, it follows the sun. He believed also, I think, that the East, he said, was on, the Orient was on the rise. Mm. Hmm. He he was an extremely intelligent man. Sounds like it, huh? So I know you've written uh, quite a bit about the South, and and you've got your Dave Robichaux series, and but you've also Mm -hmm. written you've got this new one coming out that takes place here. Uh, Have you written quite a few books that take that are set in the in the Montana area? Yeah, yeah, quite a few. Uh, even the Dave Robichaux series goes goes up here. Yeah. Got the third book, the Robichaux series, won the... the uh, Black Cherry Blues? Uh, yeah. yeah, Black Cherry Blues. I love that book. Yeah, uh, Edgar. Edgar. Yes. And it allowed, that allowed me to work full time. I resigned the teaching job I had and, uh, in, <clears throat> in Kansas and we bought a house back in old Montana. Mm-hmm. But so you did the over show. Cleek Purcell loves to come out here too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I know um, Guthrie was unhappy with the film versions of Big Sky and The Way West for good reason too. They're not very good. But have you had better experience? I know you've had a couple of books made into films. You know, I've had four uh, features. Four of them? Films. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the various degrees of success. The, mm-hmm. the most successful in terms of uh, as a well, you know, work of art, I think, is uh, God's Country, which mm. came out last year. It opened at, uh, you know, Redford's place down there. Oh, okay. What is, what's it called? Sundance. Sundance, yeah. okay. Uh, but yeah, it opened at Sundance. Uh, Julian Hagen directed it. Who, who directed it? Uh, 
Julian Higgins, he's okay. very uh, accomplished. He's young, but a extremely uh, good director. And he's done two films of mine, or two okay. adaptations. And I had, uh, oh, uh, one uh, with Heavens, the adaptation of uh, Heavens Prisoners. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that was with Alec Baldwin. And then mm -hmm. uh, In the Electric mist with confederate dead oh uh, yeah so uh and then uh, a story of the texas revolution called uh titled uh two for texas mm. and, and had a lot it, it's it's it was a turner film okay uh, a film for television yeah but it had some great chris christopherson played the ah. man yeah, yeah. Here's what I, I've never understood, and, and and this is a little political, I guess. But this is what the right wing does. They constantly denigrate Hollywood. They're yeah. always insulting, even though Ronald Reagan was a Republican yeah. and an actor. Yeah, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But anyway, they they can't wait to insult Hollywood. Well, then you think, where's the American secular cathedral? It's Hollywood. Yeah. It's an incredible place. <laughs> <laughs> and here's what's so funny that, I don't know, I, I love movies and I love watching them made and I love the people who make them because it's an outdoor mental asylum. It's just great. <laughs> Who needs LSD? So what's the name of the new one again? The new book? Uh, which, which new book? The one that's about I mean, the Baker Massacre. Oh, uh, that came out last uh, year. Okay. And uh, the, the uh, paperback will come out um, this coming month, May. Uh, it's title is from the Bible, Every uh, Cloak Rolled in Blood. Oh, and, uh, that's a great title. Part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you have any state. film interest in that one? Yeah. Good. That sounds like... Uh, no, no, not that one. Not that one. I, uh, uh, no, not right. No, it's... <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got quite a bit of... Uh, a film interest right now. I've got two. I've got four books coming out. And, oh, uh, I have okay. a historical book that's coming out in July, and it's quite a book. It's uh, titled "Flags on the Bayou: The Year 1873 in Louisiana." Mm. It's a historical book. Okay, but uh, no, uh, my my last book. Uh, uh, it deals with the Baker massacre, but it's uh, it's science fiction as well. Oh. But it's a uh, hmm. we. Uh, uh, my last book is a uh, memorial for my our daughter. We lost our daughter. Paul, oh, um, at, yeah, two and a half years ago, and uh, I read. We call it Pamela's book. It's dedicated to her, but it's it's my most powerful book. It's no. There's no doubt about it. Hmm. And, um, I, I think I think it's a remarkable book. I mean, I probably have a bias 
perhaps. Yeah. Well, is um, it? Uh, my my daughter's spirit is in that. Uh, yeah. Right. Gotcha. In terms of uh, historical stories, in uh, in the books I've written. Uh, I've centered most of those stories uh, in Texas and uh, have to do with uh, members of my family. Mm. I've written about them uh, many, many times. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I forget how many novels I have. I think my three best novels uh, in the past, uh, up until maybe the last couple, my three best novels are set in Texas. Wayfair mm -hmm. and Strange may be my best. And uh, House of the Rising Sun and The Jealous Kind. It's a trilogy. Okay. And uh, these have not received the same commercial success as the Robichaux series. But uh, I think they may be my my best certainly uh, they have the greatest uh, the, the greatest attempt that I've made at least of uh, something that is actually it's like giant it's too big to get inside mm. of a book I, I don't have you ever read giant the, no I haven't the, the, the prose is not good no <laughs> I don't know yeah. And the lady worked hard on it. I know she's probably <laughs> a fine person. Yeah. But you can see it. She understood this is something that's bigger than mm. her own. The giant, George Stevens, caught it with the camera. Mm -hmm. with, see, those are real people. They're jet ranked. This, uh, I don't want to use his name, but that's jet ranked. Very recognizable. Based, based on a guy, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, based on, you know. They, even when you base, you, you know this is a writer. Mm -hmm. You base something on a right on the character of someone you know. Yeah. And, but he will change. The character will change. He'll go where he wants to. You know, yeah. That's how it happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So does it frustrate you that the books you've uh you feel are your best ones are don't get quite as much attention or, or are you comfortable with that i think they'll even out that's what usually happens <laughs> right yeah, yeah. It's, it's and and also it's you know in in, in a person's career they'll there'll be a surge of success and then an evening out and your stock really will fall and it'll go back up again. But then mm -hmm. there'll be a winnowing out. You know, all the great uh, romantic poets, British poets, uh, were uh, unknown in their lifetimes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Sell John Keats. John Keats mm. was probably second, only second or third to uh, Shakespeare and John Milton. And Keats, 23 years old, writing some of the best poetry in the history of the world. Yeah. So yeah. let me just read one last passage from uh, Mr. Guthrie before we wind up here. So this is uh, from the close to the end of Big Sky. And Boone is Boone comes across a priest 
And it, you, you know, you mentioned the religion of the West earlier, and it reminded me of this passage, which I really liked. So this priest says to him, so you were in my place. Where would you like to go if you had the choice? I mean, to what tribe? He's looking for tribes to convert, of course. They don't want white men's ways, none of them. <laughs> you haven't heard of our mission among the flatheads? Bunch of squaws, squaw tribe, flatheads, and purses both. Perhaps the others think they don't want white ways, but they need God. Oh, they got their own God. A small smile, not unfriendly, but not shilly-shally either, came on the black robe's face. A God, but not God. The ones they got do good enough, good as any, I reckon. The priest shook his head while he held the small smile. No God does well, but God. Can't see much difference myself. It isn't what a man sees. A plump finger came up and laid itself over the heart. It's what he knows in here. Well, you think your way and I'll think mine. The face reddened above the white collar, but the voice stayed gentle. That's a privilege in this country, even though we abuse it. It was a keen and knowing pair of eyes he had. After a little silence, he added, men are happier knowing God. And he waited for the answer it would bring. Oh, I get along all right, Boone says. <laughs> Yeah. That captures the spirit pretty well, I think. Yeah, any final thoughts, sir? Uh, I, yeah, I guess I do. Um, Mr. Guthrie, A.B. Guthrie, uh, was a very gentle and uh, kind man. And, uh, oh, golly, he, he could not be more humble. Mm. He, he never talked about uh, I, I didn't see him that much but I, I knew but after I read his work I taught it in a university mm. and so uh, my students would write him in fact on our on our final when we had our final we actually we cooked uh, buffalo meat in the classroom oh. <laughs> That's awesome. And that was our <laughs> final. And we sent a card to, from the class to Bud, and he wrote us back. So he, and they really loved his work. And uh, I, he took that as a great honor, and uh, a man who had great honors. Mm -hmm. These are all Kansas kids, and and my, uh, oh, I, I had published two or three, I think, yeah, three books. But um, I, if it hadn't been for the Rover Show series, I'd still be teaching. Mm. But uh, Bud was honored by our uh, expression of our respect for his work. But also, uh, I, I talked to him about, he were in Montana, talked to him, we were up in his house, and uh, about uh, Hollywood, because I, I got involved with it uh, many years ago, and uh, I, 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 this is how he, I, I believe this is how he said it, because he knew I wanted some kind of 
introduction. I mean, some mm. way of dis- probably uh, defending myself walking <laughs> into Hollywood because, boy, it's a uh, they're just piranhas all over the place. Mm-hmm. And this is what he said, uh, this is what he said exactly. Uh, you can make a lot of money there, Chuck, but it all goes away somehow. And then he said, those fellows who are uh, staff writers are really a rather sad Group. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> those are the guys that just you know they hack it out from day to yeah. day and get paid by the uh, page and uh then he uh he he didn't talk about all the he, he you would think that uh he of all people uh would be aware of the amount of uh respect that other writers had of him because mm. if, if you're a screenwriter you cannot you cannot walk away from shame you just it's incredible every every scene yep. is, it's like the godfather every scene is a short story yeah and every one of them can't let you can talk about uh, yeah that uh that it's a sad film it's it is, really yeah, sad. very sad. Yeah. That's it. It's yeah, uh, but it's boy, you, know, you hear that for the voice rolling along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way they put that echo on his calling out to it's him. The echo. Yeah, that was that was yeah. powerful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just uh, the the effect it has on me every time mm-hmm. I, I see it. It's yeah. Same. It's just it's something. Something is lost, but you don't know what it is mm. because the, the the war has been won. Right. Economic yeah. war. But all the relationships. Big, big hole. It's just some kind of hole that's there, and I still don't know what the hole is. Mm. But it is. It's just like the boy. The little boy knows. It. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and, and it's a funny thing. It's like uh, the little boy was one of the best little actors in, uh, I've ever seen in film. Uh, and he he died in a yeah. freak accident, right? In Colorado, fender bender, right? Yeah, right after he made HUD, right? He was in HUD. That was it. yeah. He was that in was HUD with tragic. Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. That was a great film too. It's like it's an extension of it. Yeah, I think exactly. for me, this is as close as I get to it. In that last scene, you see the the sun burning out behind the mountains, mm. and you see this, this purple snow up there, and <clears throat> then you realize this is. Because the film shuts down right there. The mm-hmm. camera shuts down. And you realize what's there now? Casinos, mm-hmm. Motel mm-hmm. 8s, mm-hmm. you know, Transformers, Wires. Right. You know, geez, you know, you think, yuck. Yeah. <laughs> the Yellowstone Club. It's. <laughs> You can have a chance to go back in history. 
Yeah. Yeah, I I, I jumped at it. (laughs) I always think, this is how I think of it. If If you had a choice between riding with Shane or with Dale, uh, with Davy Crockett uh, down at the Alamo, would you choose that, or or would you rather have an iPhone planted on your ear, walking, <laughs> walking all over America, <laughs> listening to your iPhone? Mm. Well, thanks a lot, uh, and this has been a pleasure. Hey, boy, oh, yeah, I, I really thank you. It's really nice meeting you, uh, you too. Uh, seeing you again. Sitting on the back porch, a bottle I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Isle of Books in Bozeman and the Isle of Books and Books in Butte, as well as the bookstore in Dillon. For our next episode, my partner Charles Finn will be back and we'll be interviewing our friend Mary Jane Nealon about her incredible memoir, Beautiful Unbroken. And we'll also be talking to her about the work of poet Sandra Alcoster, who was a friend and a huge influence on her. Join us again next time for Breakfast in Montana.